Welcome to the 2018 55-1 show podcast thing. I'm Wes Berdine, and, and I want you to know that this is literally the fourth time we've recorded the beginning of this podcast, including four-minute poor start because I f- forgot to hit record. Uh, things are not going well. So I'm just going to take a second. Hi, it's 2018, and I'm Wes Berdine, and this is the 55-1 show podcast thing. Alex Schieferdecker, you're on the phone, man. How are you? Nailed it. Amazing. That was the uh, best of all of the the runs so oh, far. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much. You are in Philadelphia, and your holidays went well? Everything went fine? They went very well. Uh, I, I spent them in Phoenix, Arizona, right before no, you were in oh, Phoenix, you did. Arizona. That's right. I thought you were going to tell the, um, the three-minute-long story that <laughs> I'm not going to retell now because it wasn't funny <laughs> when I told it in one of the others that we didn't record. Uh uh, in the room with me is uh, Dave Ladig. How are you, Dave? I'm doing great, man. Dave, this is your first time on the 55 One Show podcast thing, and uh, welcome. Thank you. It's actually, I think, my fourth time. Well, you count fourth, all, yeah, count yeah, all the yeah, intros. Yeah. yeah, so uh, you, you're you a behind-the-scenes uh, guy for 55 One, and uh, every every year when I do the, the Complete Darkness, you are the stats guy. So you and I <coughs> team up. We are Ebony and Ivory. Uh, yes. Which one am I, by the way? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, pale. we're both pretty damn yeah, ivory. I'm just like slightly tarnished <laughs> ivory okay. or something. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, but w- what we're going to do, uh, later on in this podcast mm-hmm. is talk about this st- stats article, um, in the complete darkness. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I should just give a plug for it. Complete darkness. Go to bylinepress.com or it's on 551's uh, main website. This is a book, uh, about the year, it has a long profile of Amos McGee that that um, I excerpted on the pay- web page. It has uh, game recaps, it has player stats, it has literally just like tables of stats, which mm-hmm. we haven't been able to do before. So, what is everyone's expected goals? What are their mm-hmm. um, uh, passes in the final third per ninety minutes? Uh, it's it's stuff that like you like people don't do this. Uh, so I, I I think it's pretty cool, and I know I'm being. Uh, I do this, so I'm I'm being arrogant about it. But uh, I hope people check it out and buy it. Um, uh, it it is never a money maker for <laughs> any of us. I will probably see twelve cents of it. But um, I it's something I love doing. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, and so we'll talk about that later in the mm-hmm. podcast. Um, so thank you for being here, Dave. Uh, before we talk about, we've got. Big roster moves uh, for uh, Minnesota United that we're going to talk about. We have, uh, what was the other thing? That's it. So <laughs> we don't even have big roster moves. It might be the longest podcast we ever record. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we basically have like 30 Twitter questions that are all like panic, panic, panic. Um, before I do that, <laughs> I've got a few little amuse-bouche notes. Uh, Eric Lehigh, Nottingham Forest, American fullback, scores two goals against Arsenal in the FA Cup. They win 4-2. to two. Uh, uh, These goals were awesome. Either of you see them? Yes, and I, I do like Arsenal. You know, being a, a stats guy, I just have an affinity for Wenger and the fact that he annoys so many people. I, I just feel really close to him, and I, I didn't care, especially the second goal. I thought it was pretty cheeky, if, yeah. I, if I could say that in America. And uh, I just enjoyed it all around. Yeah. Uh, the, the first goal, Alex, you didn't see these, right? No, I didn't watch this. First goal is uh, just a you know near post run, just a bullet off his head, just uh, goes in. Uh, yeah, it was great. It's fun to see that kind of stuff. Uh, I you know 
just insert lamentations that he hasn't been uh, called into the U.S. men's national team more often here. Um, speaking of the U.S., next little uh, bullet point here is U.S. Uh, presidential election uh, for soccer. Uh, I do not care a damn about this. I, I actually, over the holidays, was not looking at Twitter in part because it's just gotten so stupid. I I think it's, I hate everything about it. Uh, and it's just meaningless. Like, we have no... Why? I don't know. But do you guys have... Do you guys care? Just so you can you can give any updates if you care. Well, I wrote this article this week, um, which everyone who doesn't read the full article thought was about the election. You had two and, sentences about the election. So and it thought, was I was, about- thought I was ripping on Eric Winalda, despite the fact that all I was doing was making an analogy between him and... Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, and people didn't like that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I, I I don't vote in this, right? So, and I don't, I'm not sure how much this matters. I, I just like if Eric Winalda wins and just decides to like, you know, upset the the apple cart and everything is just going crazy. Like, I don't think that a great deal. I, how much power does he have? I don't think a he lot doesn't. changes. Like if Eric Winalda wins, he can. He's not. He's like. It's like uh, it's like changing out uh, Don Garber, right? He just does the will. He's just the spokesperson, right? Mm-hmm. He he does not have a say. So when when Eric Ronaldo, half of his things are, oh well, MLS should be this way. Okay, you, then try to be the commissioner of MLS. Like, yeah, there, there's two things that throw me off about this. I mean, first of all, you know, it's a high visibility position, but it's not a you know. It's not a dictatorship, you know. The, yes, you could have a lot of incentives, but it's not the same thing as being able to implement your will across all the things. And then, second, you know, we could argue about this as much as we want. Nobody's asking me for my vote. I'm not going to be able to vote. I'm not going to be able to participate. You know, I've been disenfranchised enough in this country. So, <laughs> imagine if you weren't white and a man. I, I know. Imagine I, that's going to come across a little harsh, I, I think, for some. But um, all right, I, I'll, I'll grant that. But it's. You know, what can we really influence here? And for many of us, you know, we've had experience on a local level for local soccer. And, you know, if they're the folks that are voting on, you know, the president of of the National Federation, there's a lot there that needs to be worked on with all the different personalities and and turfs and and the way that is broken out in this country. Um, You know, there's a lot that needs to be addressed there. And, you know, I I just don't think a Twitter battle is really going to solve a whole lot of that. Yeah. I mean, you can see it just just by the the one guy who went after after Alex in the comments of the website. Uh, the, the article was like retweeted by Landon Donovan and Merritt Paulson and lots of people, and um, and this one guy is like, oh, you know, blah blah blah, and he he only literally responded. The only two things he read were the two sentences: one about Winaldo, one about Kathy Carter. That was it, and it was just like, okay, buddy. Um, <laughs> And by the way, can I just address that? You know, the, the the piece that Alex wrote was great because I, I think it really focuses on what's going on. I mean, we have all this debate. We have a very passionate, you know, fan base here in the United States, and we aren't addressing what's really going on. You know, do we really have an issue? You know, if we do, what are those issues? And yeah. then how would we start to address them? I would love more discussion about that because there's so many different folks that have so many different perspectives about this, um, and we're just not having that. You know, it's, you know... Bunch of people arguing about, you know, who's corrupt or not, and I don't yeah. really think that's going to help. Um, last point before we uh, go to the break: uh, Nisa, Nisa, Peter Wilt's uh, league that was uh, going to launch this year but was delayed. 
Um, they and Cutting Edge Capital, which is uh, this kind of company that uh, Peter had been kind of partnering with previously to help. Uh, they were helping find some buyers for lower division clubs. They have launched this kind of new initiative to try to help teams become fan-owned, which up until recently was nigh on impossible because uh, of legal reasons that I don't know how to explain. But um, this is super exciting to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't... This is a, like U.S. soccer, presidential election, blah, blah, blah. Everything about that is stupid. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Uh, this is super cool because as much as people talk about it and much as Minneapolis City, no offense to them, says that they're fan-owned and, and other clubs say that, they're not. And it's not a knock on... Uh, Chattanooga or anyone else or Minneapolis City or Atlanta Silverbacks are doing, trying to do this. It's just a matter of like up until recently, they, we didn't have a real way to do it the way Germans are mm-hmm. able to do it. So I'm super excited about this. I believe, you know, knock on wood, I'm going to um, try to do a podcast with Peter Wilt and someone from uh, Cutting Edge Capital um, this week, I, I hope that we can do that. I, I This is like one of the most exciting things to me. Because if there is actually a way mm-hmm. to get people to band together and do this, it's tough because you got to find enough people who want to lose money every year. But mm-hmm. I do that already <laughs> with soccer. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's That has me excited. I don't know if you... Well, it's a change, you know, the the ability to actually have, you know, real ownership, you know, having a stake in it. Um, as you alluded to, and there's all sorts of practical, you know, legal issues that need to be worked out. Um, but, you know, Peterville has a great, you know, history of, you know, working on what he actually says he's going to be working on. So I have no idea if it's going to actually be successful or not in the long run. But uh, when someone like Peter says they want to try this and see where it goes, you know, I'm willing to put my faith into him and see what happens. Yeah. So uh, let's let's take a break. We've got big quarters, and we will come back. And it is Minnesota United time. Uh, here we go. Welcome back to the Fifty Five One Podcast. Uh, I figured it out now. It's just there's no show, just podcast. Okay. I'm Wes. I've got Dave, and then uh, Alex. You're on the phone. Let's talk about this Minnesota United, but the first news, Christian Ramirez, he is set to be called up on Monday, so when people listen to this, to the U.S. men's national team uh, for Camp Cupcake. There's only one game, the, the Bosnia-Herzegovina uh, game in, in California, his home, uh, Southern California, where he's from, January 28th. Uh, this is long overdue, uh, but w- what do we what do we make of this? Uh, is this a good time for him? Uh, will he get time to play? Well, I think that, I mean, his, he, I, I don't know how much he's in contention for um, the, the like 2022 World Cup, but he's definitely, you know, because he'll be in his 30s by then, but he's definitely, if he can make an impression at this camp, if he can get a time in this game and impress then he'll be in the rotation for the Gold Cup, and if they do another sort of Copa America kind of thing, I mean, he he, he could be a part of this team for for several years at least, and then who knows beyond that. So, I mean, this is his first opportunity, and, and unless he, you know, if he keeps scoring in MLS, he's always going to get more, but this is a really 
good first opportunity to make an impression. And the competition probably uh, won't be as strong. So I think that this is a great moment for him, and, and hopefully he can make the most of it. I mean, I, I think it's good for him to experience you know, those teammates, U.S. internationals. I think it'll only help him and Minnesota in the long run. Um, my thoughts are that, you know, Camp Cupcake, right, is to try out new talent, usually MLS. When you're really testing out folks, it's kind of tough to change all of the pieces all at once um, and see where people make a difference because you, you're not quite sure what the changes are due to. Yeah. Um, and my concern is is that they might not change the forward piece and give them really a shot uh, because they're playing in other areas. Well, if you look at who the, the, the kind of predictions of people who will who could <clears throat> be brought up here are like, Agadello, Dwyer, Morris, uh, Sapong, and then Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent is the only kind of newer guy in that uh, in that group. Um, young guy. We like if he if they if Ramirez was uh, brought in for this camp, and you know maybe he doesn't do well in the camp, but if if he's not kind of starting amongst that group, I would be kind of actually upset because we've seen what Agadello. Uh, and uh, Sapong and Dwyer, and we all, we know what all these guys mm-hmm. can do, except for Josh Sargent, right? Very, yeah. I am excited about Josh Sargent, but um, but he needs to get time. Uh, um, and you know, like as much as we like, I think people in Minnesota are kind of simultaneously like hesitant, like we're we're too afraid to say like, yes, he's as awesome as you think, because we have seen him. He dips out and just is out of form, uh, mm-hmm. usually once a, once. A season, um, and so I, I man, I, I we I think everyone here is obviously rooting for him. So, well, these are the these are the guys who are auditioning to back up Josie and Bobby Wood, yeah. right? And then Josh Sargent is in the camp, or we, we don't know, but let's if he's in the camp. Actually, we may not. There's a lot of talk about it, so I'm assuming it's happening. If he's in the camp, this is like auditioning a guy who's about to go off to Germany. Yeah, he's- and. You know, if he breaks through in Germany, I mean, he could be a, 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 the striker for the United States in, in 2022. Yeah. So he's, Josh Sargent is working on a different sort of grading than and the I, rest I also, of them. I also am suspicious that Sargent will be brought up. He just signed with Werder Bremen. Why wouldn't he be training with them before their uh, winter break ends so that, but maybe yeah, maybe not they're sure. not going to throw him in right away, and so it doesn't matter. But. Or is he is he waiting until he turns eighteen or something like yeah. that? I'm not quite sure so what the rules are. If you get this podcast <clears throat> on Monday, Minnesota the the Dark Clouds the Supporters Summit is Monday night, seven p.m. at Blackstack Brewery. It's a very cool time. Uh, it's you know middle of the winter. Let's get together, just bring people together. There's a Board of Governors election as well, um, but you should come to that seven p.m. Blackstack Brewery in uh, St. Paul. Um, and now let's talk about Minnesota United, uh, roster moves <coughs> since December 15th, uh, which was when Tyrone Mears was taken in the expansion draft. There's been no moves from Minnesota. Um, there haven't even been real rumors. Um, and so Keenan Humphrey on uh, Twitter says preseason starts on the 22nd. Only two additions are rotation guys. I would say Heath is not even a rotation if Heath plays more than two games this season, I will be surprised. Um, when is it appropriate to hashtag panic? Uh, I'll answer the first part of that, which is it's always appropriate to hashtag always, panic. Always, always. Uh, but let, yeah. me, let me just add this tweet to it, too, and then you guys, I'll let you guys respond to this. This is from at Looney Trumpeter MN. On a scale of one to, pi- one, one to pitchforks and torches, how panicky should Minnesota United fans be? So I'll give you guys that. Dave? 
Well, it depends if you're trying to win the World Cup this year or if you plan on winning the World Cup in the next few years. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, we're never going to catch up with Chicago there. Um, you know, they're an expansion team. They need to do some work, perhaps more than others. Um, so, you know, we had that expectation that, you know, last year was you know very good for an expansion year. We wanted to see them take the next step. And that means they're going to have to do a little bit more work than the average team would be in, in this phase. And that we're not seeing. Um, it's not unusual to not have very many moves. I was looking at the tra you know transfer list you know today uh, based on these questions. Thanks, guys. And you know there's plenty of teams that only have a couple folks added. You know for now. Um, the problem is is that we need a lot of work, and I'm not sure how much left in the window is there to get folks in there and working together so that they're ready to go right at the start of the season. Um, you know, gelling as the season starts. We saw last year it didn't really go very well. So. Um, you know, a couple pitchforks, right? Sure. Okay. Alex, what's your what's your pitchfork rating here? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty concerned. Um, I, I, like, we know that they're going to make moves, but, <clears throat> you know, are they going to be, like, the, making moves is one thing and making good moves is another thing. And I've already expressed, I think on this podcast uh, previously, how underwhelming the first two moves they made were. You know, uh, and so it's up to, you know, we're, we're still sort of waiting to see what else they have in store. And like a total lack of like rumors is like really disconcerting. And, and it's not like they have to have the entire team in place on the 22nd. It's not like they have to have, you know, all their starters, everyone in place. We know that they're going to be some people brought into the camp. We know that. As the, as the preseason camp rolls on, there are going to be, you know, people sort of coming in a little bit late, but that's not really optimal. And it would, it would be great to, to know a little bit more about this team and, and how it's going to play, you know, until then. I mean, just the other day, I was sort of gaming out my Minnesota United rosters and, and, um, it, it, it just, it, however way I, if I, if I, however way I line the team up, there was at least one like question mark where it was, it was, I don't think we have a starting caliber player at this position and, and not, not even anyone like close to a starting caliber player at this position. Well, let's, and, we'll we've got a, we've, we'll actually talk about positions of need in a minute, but yeah. I, I want, I wanted to st stick on the panic thing for just a second, which is, which is just that like I saw, um, you know, I, I like Jamie Watson quite a bit. He's a great guy. But I saw a tweet that he he gave he sent to um, Teresa Peterson, who's one of the copy editors of 55.1 and just a long-time fan of Minnesota. Um, and he said, you're letting people here on here get in your head uh, about, like, you know, people should not be uh, upset or worried. And I just, like, I just have this... I find that to be so condescending and upsetting to me that, like... Um, People who are someone who's getting paid by the team is lecturing people who spend way too much money, way too much of their time, and all these things. They're they're just blood and sweat. Um, we're we're totally entitled to be panicky and upset. Actually, we I don't think Minnesota United deserves the dark clouds and the supporters the support that it gets. I honestly don't think that they're good enough. The fans that they have are unfrickin' real, and any team in this league. Mm -hmm. Except maybe Portland would <laughs> would trade, right? I mean, it, uh, the fact that like 
that last year our biggest signing was Molino, very good player. We'll mm-hmm. talk about him a lot. But that he was basically the fifth best player at Orlando, a not good team. I mean, mm-hmm. look, we love our team. We those ninety minutes, we will cheer for them. But it's okay that people are a little bit worried that Tyrone Mears and Harrison Heath, the a thirty five year old and the coach's son, were signed. It's okay. That we're a bit worried. No one, I mean, there are people who are overreacting. Maybe we need to temper that. Mm-hmm. But I just find it, I, I've, I got really pissed off at that. It just like how, and that's a that's a general Minnesota United uh, front office thing that I always find. And even from the, the technical staff, just so condescending. We're like, no, screw you. We're allowed to be upset. Yeah, I, I look at it like uh, keeping it in the family, right? You know, we're family. We can complain about things like that. Uh, if somebody else said that about our team, you know, perhaps I, I'd take issue with it. Uh, but we're fans, you know, we're going to complain about some things and we're going to be happy about other things. And, and that's just our right, you know, we're going to talk about in the off season. And, you know, the thing that kind of gets to me is when we look at last season, you could tell that their strategy when they're, you know, it was really the, the shotgun approach to signing players. They they signed more $2,000 and up players than I, I think any other team uh, in MLS. And you could tell that they were just casting a wide net seeing who floated and in this off season they're just cutting off a lot of people that they didn't think fit or worked well you know for the group that they had soft um, open well yeah but I mean, I mean that's also you know if you're, you're thinking about return on investment you know there's going to be very valuable players you try a lot of those see who's going to become a star because mls doesn't really value players very well um if they did that last year though now you have this full off season are you going to continue that strategy? And if so, where are the signings? You got to get a lot of folks in here if you're going to, you know, if you have eight signings, they're only going to really keep three, right? Um, so we're not seeing that. So we just kind of wonder what what the change is. And you know, the team doesn't really communicate very well about what they're doing, if anything. You know, you don't need to give away the store, but um, you know, a, a little more discussion, I think, would probably go a long way. I think, like. The, the, you know, you're letting people on here get in your head, Jamie's comment. Like, if, <clears throat> to me, the team has to earn, like, trust. Like, if, if we're going to trust the front office to get it right, that's not something that people should be giving blindly. Like, that's something that is earned. And the team has done nothing in the past year to earn the trust that they can build a quality MLS roster. I, in I the say- summer... I would say they built okay. They yeah, they built a roster, and in the summer they added to that roster. And the additions were, you know, there was no like, you know, we didn't have a a Demidov in in that group, but we didn't. No, there was no game changer among the summer additions. And then we have the positive slow steps, which were we have the we have the entire year to to prepare, you know, new moves and scout new players. And the whole first part of the offseason goes, and we only have two really, really underwhelming signings. So there was no, you know, move prepared before the end of the year. Okay. Can so you, now I, we're getting to the end, now we're getting to the end of the holiday season, and the winter transfer window is opened in Europe and everywhere else. And there's still, we still aren't hearing anything. We still aren't hearing anything about moves. And so until the team has a really successful series of signings i don't think i can i I, I, like the that sort of blind faith that sort of blind trust i don't have on the flip side is a team like the new york red bulls who have done some crazy stuff in the past couple years they keep shipping out their captains their best players what happens 
They go to the playoffs every year. They're a great team every year. They're entertaining to watch. They have good players. They know what they're doing. You know, if I were a Red Bulls fan, I'd be, yeah, I'd be mad that Dax McCarty got traded last year. I'm mad that Sasha Kleschen is, you know, is trading this year. But I trust that Jesse Marsh and the Brain Trust at that club are going to put together a good team because they've done this before. They've, they've made these bold moves before and it's worked out. So, uh, a few player notes. One thing that um, has not actually been reported, but um, uh, Diego Rossi's uh, agent said that um, uh, Minnesota actually had contacted him about trying. They did try to sign Diego Rossi. He's this 19-year-old uh, Penarol striker, for, uh, Uruguayan striker from Penarol, um, uh, who LAFC got. Uh, and they had to pay a $4 million transfer fee. I don't know. Does it make you feel better or worse that Minnesota? I mean, they did target a good guy. They did like inquire after him, but we're not. I mean, Minnesota United is not a. That guy's not coming to Minnesota, and b. Uh, we're not paying four million dollars for a striker. But You're I, right. I think, it was a striker. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the one position we're okay on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I just I want to throw that out there. Uh, Sasha Kleshton goes to. Uh, Orlando, Benny Fialheiber goes to LAFC. I would have loved to see either of these guys go um, to Minnesota. Uh, I, I partially understand why Minnesota didn't go after them. They're both in the last year of their contract, which means we'd have to give up some stuff just to get a guy for a year. I still kind of want to see them. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and, and they, they both cost a lot, but golly. I mean, can you imagine what uh, we could do with... Uh, uh, Molino out on the left cutting in, Finley and Christian with Sasha directing the show. Ugh. It, it would be amazing. And, and the thing is, is like, you know, yes, they're probably overvalued, you know, in the absolute sense. They've been around for a while. They're a well-known thing. Whenever you're buying a well-known player, you're, you're going to pay a little bit more. Um, the the thing is, is, you know, it's only been one year, an expansion year. They, they haven't really shown any history of being, being able to find diamonds in the rough and being able to replace them. So like Alex was saying, um, you know, a team like New York, where they've had a history of being able to pull in players that surprise you, um, you give them a little bit more leeway with this. But, you know, so far we haven't seen it. And, um, you know, I'm I'm happy to eat my words later on when we, you know, do find those diamonds in the rough. But, you know, we haven't done it yet. So, Alex, you already ta- started talking about um, player positions of need. Right now our roster is 23 players. That includes uh, Demidov and Johan Venegas. And so that would put it set 21 because John Venegas was loaned out to Saprisa. Demonov, do they have to roster him? Do you know that? Can they just I have like, no idea. Okay. <coughs> I'm going to say they have 21 spots to fill because maybe they will just loan him out and pay part of his uh, wage or something. Um, one of those spots will be a third keeper, you imagine. So that's uh, And then they're going to have the number five super draft pick. I'm, I can't imagine they don't take that or, or take at least a player from the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they have two more players from the draft then. Um, so, but let's assume they take a third keeper and a super draft pick. That uh, puts them at needing five spots to fill. Um, Rodrigo Sanchez uh, said many things, uh, making fun of the U.S. men's national team. But among the things he says is, "What what positions do we need most to help, and uh, etc. How how will we do it?" Um, Either either of you have thoughts where those five positions will will end up going to? I think midfield is the biggest issue. I mean, I think that I think that Minnesota's problems last year were like, 
a significant portion of the problems last year were because the midfield never worked as intended. Um, and I think that we don't, we have one central defensive midfielder on the team. One, we, you know, have had one for a long time and never replaced him or never found a backup for him. I think that's really concerning. I think that, I mean, Ibsen's getting older. I'm not sure what our other options are in central midfield. Colin Martin, I like, but I'm not sure if he's really starting quality. I hope he is, but I don't know. And obviously the number 10 position, which we've been talking about for over a year now, is still vacant. And so I think that all of those central midfield positions, I want to see signings. Let me just say something on that central midfield thing, which is uh, I agree with you, but that's our one position not of need in terms of who's on the roster, right? We have played two those two roles. We have... uh, Ibsen, Colin Martin, Colin Warner, right? He's still on the team, right? For some yep. reason I thought we got rid of him. Yep. Uh, Sam Cronin, Rasmus Schuler, and then I didn't even write down Harrison Heath, right? He's a human being. He has mm-hmm. a body. That's six people to play those two roles. I mean, unless we ship one of them out, do you see us signing a seventh well, player there? That's one of the reasons why I'm panicking, right? I mean, it, to me, that's always looked like our biggest area of need, and... I haven't seen any evidence that the team agrees with me. So until I'm proven wrong, uh, I'm going to be panicking about that position because I just we we don't have a good midfield. Let me, let me at say all. this: our two our 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 strongest pair, right? Who Heath I think would say he wants there: Sam Cronin and Ibsen. Sam Cronin missed the last third of the season due to head head injury. Ibsen is 34. Yeah, so we've got hmm. two. Our strongest central midfielders are not necessarily thirty game a player a season uh, players, and so uh, they may only be fifteen games a season, and that is that's very worrying if you're talking about building toward mm-hmm. twenty nineteen even or this year. Yeah, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit, and when we get into some of the stats. But you know, for me, the, the biggest weaknesses are starting in the back, uh, the defensive midfielder, the screening. And perhaps center back, you know, if we could upgrade those areas as well. Um, you know, we had a, as Alex was mentioning, you know, we had a problem connecting, you know, from the back to the front, building up. And, you know, the, the attacking group, you know, when they were able to, you know, counter and kind of get off in their thing, I felt really comfortable with that. The backside, you know, there are times that they were really able to work together. Um, but, you know, connecting the two groups is bad. And, you know, Cronin was getting older um, towards the latter part of the year probably due to injuries you know he wasn't really covering as much ground as he could so when something did come into his area he was able to effectively you know kind of terminate the the opposition's possession um but again it was still a limited area and then when you have ibsen being tasked with being a creator and going you know box to box you know he's absent from some of those defensive roles and for someone who can't cover as much ground you know that's a problem we don't have depth and we need somebody to, to take on that role if we have somebody great you know maybe you only need one defensive mid and you could free up some of the attack, but, you know, we don't have that. And, uh, you know, for me, that's the, the biggest need. And then, you know, anywhere you can improve, I think you do so. So well, we've, we've had uh, central midfield and number 10 from, from Alex, uh, <coughs> center back, as you're saying. Um, we need another left back. 
I know Tia Song can jump <coughs> up there. Yeah. But if you're you're three left, uh, three fullbacks, then we need a fourth at least. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we don't know how we don't know how if Birch can last a whole season, right? He's had lots of injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need um, probably a left winger. I know that's crazy to say because we have a million, but uh, neither Nicholson, Leighton, uh, Molino, or Ibarra are 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 preferred starting on that left. Um, I don't. I wonder if Leighton's going to be back. Right? He's signed until. I July, think he's supposed to. Yeah. You really have to get a sense of like. I mean, if they only played him for ten minutes this last season, like that's another roster spot that you're just wasting. Um, yeah. If you don't think that he, if you only thought he was worth ten minutes, even when you were not going to make the playoffs and you were crap, right? Yeah. That's worrying to me. Uh, obviously, Ibarra may be on the move. We don't know. We haven't heard mm-hmm. anything lately about that. Um, I'm. You know Nicholson. Uh, my uh, my thoughts on him are well known. Um, so uh, actually, when I was doing my interview for with Amos McGee for the for the Complete Darkness, at the end when I turned the recorder off, he was like, "I heard you really hate Sam Nicholson." I was like, "No, he just should not be starting right now." Well, so I got I got apparently my my rants have uh, made their way to yeah. the technical staff. Well, the um. When I, the other day when I was sort of just tinkering with Minnesota formations and trying to figure out, I mean, I, I had two sort of priors that went into the, to the lineup that I built, which was that A, we need to play with two strikers because we have two very good strikers. And two, uh, B, we need to play with a three man midfield because if we play with a two man midfield, we're going to get destroyed. And so that meant to me that the, our best lineup would be you know, like a, a three-five-two, a five-three-two kind of setup. Now that led to some really weird, weird, weird stuff. As, as you pointed out on, on Twitter, I had Kevin Molino playing as a, as a wing back. That's probably a disaster. But to me, I, I, you know, I I really, really think that we need another midfielder, and we need to be playing with multiple midfielders. Um, the alternative to that is that. We get better dealing with play. Uh, well, I, I would let's just get better midfielders. I mean, this is like you, you can go through the roster, and there's almost not a position that couldn't be upgraded. Um, I just think that I want I want to see more looks in midfield. I want to see more types of players in midfield. That is that is like ground zero for me for the changes. I'm generally yeah. fine with our center backs. We obviously need someone to take over for. We need other options if we have an injury crisis like we did this past year and Calvo's gone on international duty, so on. But yeah. midfield, 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 midfield. That's where all of our problems were last year, and we're not doing anything about it. I'm fonder of Nicholson than than Wes here. Um, yeah, I am too. And I, I think he, you know, works out pretty well for the role that he has. But you know, for me, it's just defense. Everybody's got to be more defensive focused, um, and you got to start in the back. You know, for me, you, you can't give up an MLS record number of goals and not have everything focus on that. You're more likely to win a game by not conceding than you are by trying to score. Um, it's it just, you know, the main focus for the area, and uh, I'm not sure how it's going to be addressed now. Defense isn't always addressed via different players. You know, sometimes it's different tactics, different setups. Um, but again, we have no indication that that's going to change either. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to move on from this uh, and just just make a note that the Super Draft is coming up in January 19th. 
Uh, it's in Philadelphia, so Alex, you're going to be there. Fantastic. Yeah, Are you I know. Are you very ex- excited? Do you have your outfit picked out? Yeah, I've got my outfit picked out. Yeah. Uh, it's, Who are you wearing? It's going to be like a sandwich board, uh, <laughs> and it's going to say Heath out on the front and Heath in on the back, and uh, everyone will be extremely confused. Yeah. Um, so lots of places are going to do mock drafts. Uh, this is my public service announcement to absolutely ignore all of them except for uh, Matt Doyle's take and Top Drawer Soccer. Top Drawer Soccer are the experts. Matt Doyle is uh, is well-connected and smart enough to properly give you insight from that. He's not watching all these soccer games. Top Drawer Soccer is, uh, but uh, just literally ignore everyone else, including, actually, we won't even do that. We're going to just point to other people. I would never, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not dumb enough to pretend I'm that smart. Uh, right, so um, I, I think there's, there's six generation Adidas players. I think it's, we have the fifth pick. There's literally uh, no way in hell we don't take a generation, well, I don't know. I think we take a generation mm-hmm. Adidas player because they're, they're free, right? Yeah. They don't count against our cap. It makes absolute sense to do that. There's only one defender in that and one midfielder. Four of them are forwards. Uh, there are three other players who were signed to MLS, so meaning like enough teams have already registered <clears throat> their interest in these guys that they're like, all right, we'll sign them. We know that they're going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're seniors. Yeah, and they're seniors. There's GA, one def- GA players are all not seniors. Oh, that's right. Yes, thank you. That's a good clarification. Yeah. Um, defender Thomas Hill- Hilliard Arca? Arce? I don't know. From Thomas. Thomas. Thomas? Sure. Sure. From Stanford, uh, he's a defender, and um, I think he could... People also talk very highly. They say he's a top-five pick, so maybe he'll go higher. Depends on what these other other teams are valuing at the moment. But um, I just don't th- see us taking another super draft forward. It would be stupid. Um, maybe we trade away. If, if, if one of these GA mm-hmm. forwards, maybe we trade away, trade down to seven, and take someone good and get... 150 gam out of it, but well, I, top I, drawer I, soccer's mock draft did have us taking John McCarrow, who is the Herman Trophy winner. He's not a GA because he's a senior, um, but he is, and he played as a forward for for Wake Forest. But I think people project him as as a number ten. Um, so that was top drawer soccer's pick for us. I, I don't know if it'll shake out that way. It's obviously pretty far away, and we haven't seen yeah. a combine, but. I mean, we'll, we'll, we can talk about that, I guess, in ne- maybe next episode or after, after the combine. But the idea of we need a number 10. Uh, what if you use Molino and you're switching out between Molino and this? You're using a, a, a rookie as your number 10. That is a, a risky move. Maybe yes. this guy, is, they believe in him that much. But I think it's pretty rare to have somebody from the draft come in and start right away. Um, so then you look at it for other benefits. You know, if you get a GA guy, it count, it's not part of your senior roster. It doesn't count towards a cap. That frees up a little more space to get somebody else. Um, and then you start looking towards depth. You know, you get somebody, perhaps a Herman Award winner, who is going to be a development project. Um, yeah. And that would Just be a take the best team. player available. Not a forward. No, you don't. Yes. It's, it's best player available. Who plays All left right. wing? All right. Exactly. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and it's, uh, statistics time. So, um, bring out your TI-83. Everybody drink. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the 55-1 Podcast. I am Wes, Alex on the phone, and Dave Ladig, resident nerd, in the room. Uh, um, Dave, you are, you, are, uh, you are like well ingratiated, ingrained in the American soccer analytics community, correct? Like you, you, oh. you guys have this like little cabal. Um, well, I mean, I, I do talk numbers to folks. Um, I've probably been blocked by all the right people. Yeah. Uh, does that sound fair? I've been blocked by all the right, the other right people. So Okay, yeah, I mean, and, and if you think, I mean, we all know American soccer. It's a close-knit community. It's not like the other sports. And, you know, for the folks that do enjoy talking about stats or statistics or, you know, getting a little bit on the technical side, um, it's the same thing. You know, the, there's a lot of discussions that go on and there's heated debate and there's a lot of back and forth. And, you know, I really enjoy it. And uh, I, I do think North America's got a lot of folks that are insightful and uh, have a lot of knowledge that we can, uh, you know, use for this. And I'm just happy to... Be yeah. part of that group, um, Alex. You haven't. Uh, I, I sent it to you last minute to read, but you have not read it because it's a thirty-page article uh, on statistics that's in this book. Uh, so you can pepper us with questions. But um, uh, just, just again, just to plug the book, it's on at bylinepress.com on fifty-five-one's website. Please go and buy it. I think it's very cool. Uh, I really love making it, and I love having it when it shows up. Um, so. This is this is kind of the big meat in the middle of the the um, the book, uh, and so I'm, let's start with where you want to start. What let's start on the offense. Let's make observations okay. there. What are the what are some of the things that we observe? And then the caveat I put this in the book is the type of data we have. We can make pretty good observations, but it's not. Uh, it's not the type type of data that you and I are then like saying, "Oh, right, we need to adjust here." It's not granular enough, I think, to make really good. Uh, Heath is being dumb by not doing this, but we can point out problems. So, yeah, and you know, whenever I talk about stats, I think of it like uh, optics and like telescopes. You know, you could have a very basic telescope and you know see Jupiter. And that's probably where we're at. But, you know, some folks, perhaps the pros with the better data, you know, they can, you know, zoom in and see some of the moons and just get better detail. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, what are you looking at? You know, what level of, you know, if you have an electron microscope, it's great, but it's not going to help you drive to the nearby city. You're staring at Uranus. Yes, uh, you yeah. could do that as well. Um, so, you know, again, it's what info do you have and what are you trying to use it for? And the, the things that we have or what we try to put up is, you know, some novel, I think, ways of looking at what we have to inform, you know, some of the discussions that we have or that we have had throughout the year. And, you know, for that, you know, I've got the benefit of some of the folks that we have in the community, the American Soccer Analysis guys. If you're into stats, you know, check them out. They, they have a lot of insight. Um, and, you know, we've turned it towards, you know, what we have here. So, you know, going to offense, you know, high level, again, if you're using optics, um, you know, they're a little bit below average as a team. You know, for an expansion team, that's great. Um, but if you want to get to the playoffs and be a team that competes, like the stated goal of Dr. McGuire, you know, that, that's something that you got to improve on. So, you know, going through the, some of the stats, one of the things that stood out to me was our, our connection problems. And we talked about this a little bit when we talked about um, the, the players that we might need to acquire. Um, but building out of the back, um, you know, we, we've had a, a problem. And for this stat, I'm talking about um, what you could term like expected passing. And just to define the stat that I'm talking about here, what I did is I went through the entire MLS season and all the, the passes in possession, I broke them down from point A to point B, you know, and I broke the pitch up into 106 zones and zone, you know, A to zone B, how many passes were there, how many were complete, 
and that set you know a completion percentage for that kind of pass. I'm, I just want to pause here to to point out um, I've seen like basically the the excerpts of of your data, mm-hmm. and it is like amazingly granular. I've never seen spreadsheets this big because it, it and and to, to I'll explain it to you, Alex, and thereby the listener. 106 zones on the pitch, cutting it down to that level of granular. And how many times is the ball going from, you know, the furthest left uh, corner to the direct center of the pitch? We we have th- that data. So I'm just like, that to me, like once I was staring at all this stuff, I was like, I didn't even, this this year's article was harder to write than ever because it was just like, too much. Yeah, there was so much there, and it's tough to cut down. And not only that, but I, I did it, you know, in the run of play. So I'm, I'm breaking it down by possession, and that's something that I'm not sure of other folks doing and sharing with folks. Um, you know, because there's sometimes there's passes that are, you know, clearances that show up as a pass, or there might be, uh, yeah. you know, breaking up a, an offensive action. You know, so it's run of possession, and that's what I'm comparing to. And so, so what, yeah, what does that show you? Yeah, what what's the okay? So you know what that does is you know that shows you the MLS average for making certain kinds of passes. So if you look at Minnesota's defensive third, um, they were pretty much eighty passes below what would be expected. It's like minus eighty on completions for the year. When and, we're passing in our own defensive third, yeah. So any pass originating from our penalty area, from the the defensive third, just outside the penalty area, mm-hmm. kind of in the middle, excluding the sidelines, mm-hmm. if you want to get a, a mental picture of it. So, you know, that's the very first step, you know, building attack is, you know, your own defense getting out of your own end. And we're very poor at that. Um, And, you know, over the course of a season, you know, you could say 80 may not make a big difference. But again, that's turning over the ball in an area that's, you know, a high probability for the defense or, you know, the opposing team to score. And if you think about it, if you turn over the ball that quickly, you know, what's the first thing you do when you win possession is your players start moving away and they start getting away from defenders. Uh, or from the opponents, and then they try to start the attack. And if you turn the ball over pretty quick, not only is the other team in a very good spot, but now all of your defense is out of position to, to shut that down. And you know, perhaps that leads to some of the the goals being conceded. It's just the inability to get it out of the back. And that was really surprising to me. I expected more of the problem to be in the midfield. And and if you look at where the passes ended up going to, we had a lot of trouble getting it into the attacking half just across the midfield line. Um, so you have you know problem from starting from the back and getting it to the middle. And, you know, that sh- shows up in some of the discussions that we've been having already. Um, well, um, even more like a uh, higher level basic part of it is that also Minnesota, we scored fewer than average goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as you would expect, we shot fewer than average times, yes. right? Um, basically average MLS teams made 13 shots a match um, with three, Shots on goals, and Minnesota had uh, ten shots a match and two point three shots on goals per match. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. That that makes a bit of sense. Yeah. But but then when you when you look at that with um, Loon's averaged uh, four hundred ninety five touches in possession, so passes, dribbles, shots, um, and and that's more than the league average of four seventy one. So mm-hmm. right. Um, so we had more possession with the ball. Mm-hmm. And did did less with it, right? That's just a yeah, super basic observation. Yeah, at a thumbnail level, yeah. I mean, that, that's what it was. And, you know, the 491 touches per game versus 477, it's a little bit more. You know, I'd kind of lump it into kind of a, an average type of category. But 
you know, we're not getting as much out of it as we could. And, and part of that, you know, again, is just getting to starting in the back and, and connecting with the folks. Um, I want to talk about Molino. Actually, weirdly, <laughs> weirdly, we spent a lot of time on Molino because yeah. I asked you a few Molino questions and mm -hmm. then like two weeks later you came back to me. I haven't even had a chance to digest it because I just want this thing. I'm supposed to send it to the printer tomorrow night. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm still trying to, to digest it all. What are the, a couple of the observations we can make about Kevin Molino? And I say this knowing that Alex Schieferdecker's butt cheeks are clenched <laughs> like iron. Well, the whole Molino section is really based on Alex uh, throughout the, the year. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure every pass that Molino did not complete, there was a tweet from Alex saying, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, which is, yeah, I skipped, to... when I opened the article, I skipped directly to the Molino section. <laughs> that was the first, I read it in from the middle outward because I was just like, okay, <laughs> let's figure out how bad Molino was. We actually have a, a table with all the, st the, the tweets per pass uh, of, of, of Molino. From, from it's from one of the indirect measures. Yeah, yeah, angry tweets. Machine learning <laughs> showing the, the tweets per, per ratio. Um, so, you know, I was asking around for, you know, some of the, the guys that I, I know that have worked for teams or, you know, do work for teams about, like, you know, what would you look for in a 10? And, you know, one of the questions was, is, well, you got to compare them to who else is on your team because that's your universe of players that you're going to stick in that spot, right? Um, so we started off with, you know, how, how does Molino rate to the other folks that had played in the middle? And we broke out the games. And, you know, he's completed more passes than we would, you know, whether Johan Venegas or Ibsen even played a game as the, the central attacking mid. Um, Abu Dunladi played a game there. And, you know, Molino did better than those guys. And so we kind of left it like, okay, that might be nice for last year, but, you know, does that tell us anything about what we want to do for this year? Or do we want to try to get somebody else in there? So what we did is, you know, it took a, a couple high-profile players, uh, Diego Valeri, uh, Sasha Kleshin, and uh, Nicholas Lodero, who played four games in the central attacking mid, and, and took their stats and you know compared them to Molino's. And how does he rate compared to these guys? So we started with our expected passing, you know, that same stat that we talked about, you know, what's the completion percentage for the MLS average for those same types of passes. And, you know, Molino completed less than expected across the field and in the final third. Uh, but everybody in our star group, you know, Diego, Sasha, and Nicholas, uh, they completed more than average. So that tells us, you know, they're doing a little bit better job. You would expect somebody in that role to to complete more, especially one of the, the, the better guys. Molino was less than them. Was he also less than average in that role? Or, or? Yes, yeah, so it was negative. Okay. So you know, his completion percentage was negative. Um, and that's not, compared to other tens or just other people in those in making those passes. Um, let's see. When you say that he's negative, it's compared to the MLS average. Of the, okay. So, but yeah. you know the the core group that we're comparing them to, they're all above okay. the MLS yeah, average. Yeah. Um, so I'm checking out my notes here because you're yeah. right. There, there was like multiple pages here. Um, so you know that's overall. But you know when you check out the final third, um, uh, again, you know the other players were. Um, quite a bit higher and when you look at the difference between Molino and them it's about two completions per game in the final third um, over the course of a season that makes quite a big difference right um, so you know those are just how does he do with those types of passes and does really answer the question of should he have made that type of pass in the first place right yeah um, so we created a, another metric which was the uh, possession value of the pass and for the folks that have been checking out on 55-1 you know we um, had an article a couple weeks back, maybe a month or two back now, um, that was the, the probability of scoring in the different parts of the pitch, mm -hmm. right? The 106 zones that we, we broke out. And so what you can do is you can take the where the pass ends up, 
the probability of scoring from there, and you could subtract the starting point, the probability of scoring at the beginning. And that, that tells you what the value of that pass is, and you could add that up over time to see whether that particular pass action uh, is positive or you know not as great. Just lay, lay me in terms that this for me. So let's say literally right on the penalty, st- uh, penalty spot, uh, our own defensive spot, mm-hmm. uh, Calvo puts it forward to this other region, which is you know on the left wing mm-hmm. to the top of the box. You're saying the probability of scoring if we passed through those made made those we can compare that to MLS averages or just what what is the probability of scoring from those positions from the moving through those zones yeah so what we're left with is you know the the added added value or the added probability of scoring over the course of a season uh, and for that you know I don't have the MLS average I haven't done every single player um, kind of working on that but we have a deadline so <laughs> yeah. that wasn't happening um, but I was able to do that for the same you know MLS stars right so uh, you know the MVP Diego Valeri Sasha Kleshin who's a, a a star in his own right, and uh, of course uh, Lodero's four games, you know, where he played the same role. And Lodero's pretty good; he has a, a reputation for being a, a good creator. So, you know, when we look at you know the value add uh, for those uh, passes, um, you know, Molino actually it turns out to be higher than you know our, our core group um, over the you know the entire pitch over the season, you know, in, in that role. Um, when you look at the final third, which is really the, the key area that a uh, number 10 has got to be creating for, you know, that's, you know, the, the crux of their role. Um, the other players are actually higher than um, Molino uh, a little bit. Um, so that tells us that, you know, he's not quite up to the, the stars that we're looking at, but in that role, he, he's adding value when he keeps in possession. So let me just ask this final question then on, on Molino. Uh, based on what you've read and written, mm-hmm. uh, would you want him as the number 10 this year i would be comfortable if he was the number 10 you know sasha was the best on all these and to keep in mind uh, in the book we have a, another version of this which is the the net value so that takes uh, includes the, the negative consequences of turnovers so you know molino was adding a lot of value over the course of the pitch but when he took out his turnovers he's really below all the other players as well mm-hmm. um you know and, and that tells me that he has a high risk you know kind of playing style you know, you could add a lot of value, but when you take out the negatives, he's below everybody. You know, our core group of stars, they, they're more consistent, and they still consistently add value. Sasha, by far, was the best player, you know, as far as adding value. I'd love it if he came to our team. Um, he won't. We, I, I know yeah, he won't. We, we covered that. Um, section, I'm, section two. I'm trying, yeah. you know, tweeting out pictures of me in sh- skimpy shorts. <laughs> um, but, you know, if he was the number 10, you know, I, I think it's serviceable, and I think he's close enough to that group that – if we really think those guys are doing the right thing, you know, that's helpful. But, you know, again, the, the caveat here is I'm just talking about the value of the pass. You know, that's not counting uh, dribbling, you know, moving the ball with your feet. That's not counting uh, shooting aspects. You know, Diego is, scores a lot, so he adds a lot of value there. That's, mm-hmm. you know, passing might not be as important. It's, not, it's also not counting pressing and, and all these other things. <clears> not counting pressing, defense. Yeah. yeah. And, and when well, you look at Molino, oh, just one thing to um, – uh, Alex, and, and then you can have he's, at me. He's really been doing a good job of holding it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I appreciate your restraint. Um, one other thing that's not in the book, actually, here is that you know I looked at the probability of scoring in the final third for the team as a whole when Molino was the the number ten versus when everybody else was, and, and there wasn't really much change. You know, so I, I don't know if it's because Molino was actually playing too. You know, when the other guys were in number ten, he was just on one of the wings because he played almost every game. Um, or, you know, if there's other things that are going on with the team, that's not really helping out. But, you know, comparing his stuff on this stat, um, 
you know, it seems fairly close, you know, to the stars. Okay, so, Alex. Well, you do you so you do mention dribbling a little bit, mm-hmm. where you 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 ring up the sort of um, percentage of success for Molino, Venegas, and Ibsen on their attempted dribbles, and no surprise to anyone, Johan Venegas not only had the least attempted dribbles, but also the worst percentage. And and Molino uh, dribbled, and and his dribbles were successful. Uh, 35.5% of the time, um, which doesn't strike me as great, but I don't know what it is in context to these other players in that position. But I, I, my argument with Molino has, has, has always been that, you know, he's uh, like, uh, I think he is better as the right wing or he's better. And, and, and you computed at a different point in this article, you, you looked at, they're sort of successful of their passes or, or where they were yeah. based on what they would expect. And he was by far the worst on the left. Um, but he was also decidedly negative that minus two passes over against the expected in the middle. And on the right, he was closest to what was expected. Um, uh, like that is where that's his position. And it, it may be the case that Minnesota as a team where there wasn't a substantial amount of difference where Molino was, was, was playing uh, on the right or on the left. But I, I think that, I think that that's what that is, is that the fact that the team just wasn't, they had no attacking players besides Molino. And uh, the way that they were set up was constantly shifting throughout this, this, this season and that they were never, there was never a pairing up front beside, you know, beside, behind the attackers. There was never any kind of uh, synergy with the midfield. I, I think that I just don't think that we ever saw, you know, for what, for however much we talk about Molino being the bad guy, I think that he was constantly set up to fail. I think that the the way that the team was set up around him was never very good, and I think that he was sort of forced into this number 10 role and forced to create everything because no one else was doing it. Well, um, people will have to read the book and then they can uh, form their responses and come back to us. I want to uh, ask one more question about stats. I didn't, uh, the, the defense section is also very long. I, I didn't uh, prep any specific thing that I wanted to point to. Do you have any uh, a good d- defensive op- observation you want to make? Or you can skip the defense and talk about one more observation that... that you find um sure uh you know on defense you know you can imagine that they gave up more goals than any other team in mls history there, there's not going to be a lot of great news there and you know the stats pretty much show that out but one thing that stood out for me was the, the probability of scoring so again heading back to that chart with all the different zones um from an opponent's perspective on their left side they really had a higher percentage or a chance of scoring than an mls team would expect for those areas almost the entire central third going back down to the defensive third um, and, and into some of the attack. So that side is really, a, you know, whatever it is about it is a, a strong weakness. So it, I guess it would be Minnesota's right side, yeah, the, the opponent's left side. Yeah. Um, and, and in areas where you don't normally think about, you know, defensive pressure or, or anything like that much, but, you know, getting that ball into those areas for an opponent had a higher chance of success, you know, at a statistically significant level. Um, and, and it was a, a bit of a surprise. Looking at the, the defensive third and the probability of scoring, so same kind of chart, 
um, but just you know the Minnesota opponents for the the games that they actually played against Minnesota. Um, you know the, the weak spots are in the corners, so you could imagine thinking about the crosses um, and aerials coming yeah. in from those sides, higher chance of success, and uh, just outside the box. You know again on the opponent's left side, um, they had a better chance of scoring. So you know there were a lot of areas that Minnesota was doing well at. You know yeah. so thinking from Minnesota's left side, they're about as expected. Um, but you know, obvious weaknesses too. So the question would become, if we had more time and more chance to get into the data, you know, what was going on in those areas? Was it particular players? Was it particular situations? Was it certain games kind of making a big role, um, and kind of get down to the nitty gritty on that? But yeah. Uh, yeah well, um, uh, Steve Lindley on Twitter asked this question: uh, Is Jerry good enough to be a starting fullback in MLS player caliber team? He seems great, but it also seems like his side concedes a lot of the goals. Uh, if if you asked me, right, the the eye test, mm-hmm. I would have told you our right side is far more uh, solidified than our left side. Even though Jerry, you know, we remember those crosses that came in and Jerry missed at the back side. I would still say if someone's attacking our right side, we're going to defend better. Uh, that is what you're telling me is wrong you know um so what, what you know a lot of the times in looking at this it was like oh look they have a lot of success coming in in what looks mm-hmm. like behind where jerry would be set up if he's bombing forward so is jerome Tyson a problem i mean i don't think you could necessarily blame him you could say that something's going on there that's a problem so is he being asked to do something that puts him into a bad spot you know is he being asked to come forward too much and being part of the offense because they can't connect you know through the middle um, so there might be weaknesses in other areas that he's trying to compensate for or Heath is trying to tell him to compensate for. That's really just making it bad for the team in the long run. Um, do we want to talk aerials? or uh, there's gonna be, That'll come up. Well, okay. Let's, let's yeah. take a break. We're done, uh, done with this section. Uh, please check out the book. Um, it is $12. Uh, if you are a Dark Clouds member, you can use the code DARKCLOUDS. Uh, actually, tonight I've got. A, I had that that expired at, on uh, at the end of the year, but I, I've got to extend it because I think there's still some more available. Um, so go do that, uh, and you can read far more on this stuff because I think it is super fun. I I've made several nerd jokes tonight, but that's uh, <laughs> but that is because like uh, you know uh, I think that this stuff is great, and also I'm not smart enough to get it half the time, so I've got to do my I pretend I'm a jock, right? Oh yeah, yeah I'm a, yeah, so it's stupid. Yeah, a guy with a PhD in English making <laughs> yeah, nerd yeah, jokes. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. I know. It's, I, I have to I have to make myself feel better some way in my life. Um, so let's take a break. We'll come back and we've got a few Twitter questions. Back on the 55.1 podcast, I'm Wes, Dave, Alex. Hello, guys. Let's do... We just have a few Twitter questions here. And let me um, let me start on... We, we covered this a little bit, but Steve Lindley also asked this question. Uh, um, are other mediocre to bad teams being as silent as the loons this offseason, like Philly, Colorado? He says Houston. Houston were not mediocre. Um, but the point being, are the loons similar to other not ambitious clubs? Uh, or are we an outlier? Uh, I don't think Philly's done much. Yeah, I, I haven't think... heard a lot at all from Philly. And I mean, I live here, although I don't really care about the union. But I, uh, I think that Colorado are making moves. Yep. I kind of doubt that they're good, but they are making moves. Uh, Philly, I haven't heard anything at all. And Philly are just always a bad team, so. 
Um, I figure I'm I'm mainly thinking about when I think about bad teams, uh, the the problem is the West, right? The West got one team bigger. Uh, LA Galaxy are not going to be as crap. We have to get better in order to to even do as well as last year. Um, and you look at Sporting Kansas City. Um, they weren't a bad team, but they lost Benny, Eric Palmer, Brown, Abdul Salam, but they signed a number ten uh, French. Uh, de- designated player. Real Salt Lake signed Brooks Lennon to a permanent deal. They got their vets re-signed. Um, they're after this striker Ortuño. Uh, Colorado, like you said, they're, they've basically recreated the New Zealand team other than Boxall. Um, and they're going to stri- sign this 21-year-old uh, striker from uh, Lyon. Um, uh, teams are making some of these moves. Or, or at least there's like legit rumors. And I don't I purposely never tweet rumors. I think they're stupid, uh, but they rumors at least give you some sort of sense, uh, you know, like, you know, whatever. I mean, actually, they're they're BS because there was that African rumor, and then the African, uh, the Ghanaian writer wrote about it, uh, and and th- there was like no truth to it. So <laughs> I, maybe I'm I'm totally wrong, but other teams are doing something, which makes me, you know, we're going back to the original conversation we had, but. Well, I mean, MLS has its uh, on its website has all the transfers, you know, so far this year. And I skimmed it earlier today, <clears throat> and there's actually a bunch of teams that only have like two signings, you know, since then. Um, uh, but again, you know, I, I think from our perspective is is we know that there's a lot more work to do than the average team. You know, we were an expansion team last year. The team admitted it had a short run up that they could only do so much, and that means that they're you know filling out their rosters not with their first choice, but with you know making best do you know making the best out of what they had available to them. And, and now you have the off season where theoretically more is available to you um, to kind of write the write the ship and kind of you know get the players that you want in. And, and we're not seeing it, so it's not like it can't happen, but we just know that there's more work to be done. And where is it? Carl Bates asked this question on Twitter. How does Calvo compare to the league average in defensive aerial statistics? Um, does the data suggest that he... Anyway, yeah. Just how, we didn't actually talk about this. We didn't even go into these numbers in the stats article. The article's way too long. Yeah. And also, no one is allowed to edit it anymore. <laughs> uh, but you can... This is a special yeah. uh, podcast only. Yeah. Um, you know, because Carl asked a good question. Uh, I, I went and looked at it and... Uh, what if I saw a typo though? Could I could I change it? If you you can fix a typo okay, right, by yeah. tomorrow night. Okay, That's it. fair enough. Um, <laughs> so you know what I did is you know I'm kind of biased against uh, aerials as a stat, uh, mostly because I don't know what to do with it, and other folks do it pretty well. So why would I spend much time on it? Um, but I, I did look in it, and you know got the the stuff for 2017, and I, I started with two questions. One, you know, how did Minnesota as a team do? Uh, with this and then looking at those uh, players and then I compared them to again kind of a star group of, of center backs uh, Minnesota is a team um, and by the way defensive aerials is a stat there's always a winner there's always a loser so if you add up everybody over the season there's going to be a 50% success rate that's just how it works out um, so Minnesota as a team was worst in the league in aerials success worst rate worst in the league worst um, they were successful. We should edit the article now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, great question, Carl. Right? Um, this uh, throws new insight. Um, so Minnesota's worst in the league. They were forty-nine, or sorry, forty-one point nine percent. The next worst was San Jose at forty-five point nine percent successful. So that's quite a gap, you know, between second worst. Uh, talking about defensive third, you know, that is a key area where you want to, you know, defend better, right? Um, 
the the average in that area is 58% successful in your own defensive third. You know, defenders have a bit of an advantage. Uh, again, Minnesota was worst in that area, 51.6% uh, wow. successful. Seven points off the average. Yes. And the next worst was New England with 53.3. So, you know, at least 2% worse than uh, the next worst team. So, okay, that that's as a team, right? You know, Minnesota did not do very well on, on that stat. Um, so uh, I went and found three center backs uh, that are pretty well known for doing well. Uh, Lawrence Simon, is that? Simon, yeah. Simon, yeah. Um, so in the defensive third, he was uh, 75% successful. You know, great job. Matt Hedges, 67% successful. Chad Marshall, um, 71% successful. So they were way above average um, for success with those center backs in the defensive third. Um, so now we turn to Calvo. How well does he do? Um, he's... 56% in the defensive third, so that's kind of about the league average. Um, overall, he's 51%, so it's about the league average. Um, and, you know, I, I guess it is what it is. He's serviceable on that, uh, but he's really not up to the par of, you know, this core group here. I, I looked at some of the other uh, Minnesota players since I, I had this uh, coming up. Uh, Coleman actually did very well. He was 72% in the defensive third. That's really close to our, our group of stars. 73% uh, overall, because uh, you remember, he would mm -hmm. go forward you know, on set pieces to, you know, do stuff there. Uh, T.A. San was pretty poor in the defensive third at 48%. Yeah. So he is 10% below what the league average was for uh, aerials in the defensive third. And then overall, he is 54%. So he did a little bit better overall. But mm -hmm. uh, again, you know, it shows a weakness. He has 14 out of 29, uh, T.A. in the defensive third. You know, certainly room for improvement. And, you know, perhaps, you know, his role is more offensive oriented. Yeah. And it shows up in some of the other stats. Did you um, check Boxel? Did we see Boxel too? You and your Boxel, man. Um, I, I did. Well, I mean, let me we all know Adrian. He's going to play him a lot. So, okay. So Boxel, he didn't have a whole lot of uh, chances. You know, in the defensive third, he had nine uh, opportunities, and he was successful five times. Okay. Um, so that's fifty-five percent. You know, that's huh. about average. Um, but again, you know, it's a, a smaller sample compared to some of the others. Um, but overall, you know, he has 61%. So I guess going forward and in the midfield, you know, when they're challenging for balls, he, he did pretty well. Okay. Uh, let's, let's finish on, on this question. Um, first I want to say, Carl, thank you, jerk, for now making me have to re-edit this article, uh, again tonight. So, uh, United Loons asks, uh, who are Minnesota, the Minnesota United club legends and why? Uh, I will just say it doesn't have to be the one, but... Uh, put one person in in the pantheon. You nominate one person for the pantheon. Uh, doesn't and does not have to be like you don't have to go with the big ones. Of uh, wait, are we talking about Minnesota United club legends or just Minnesota soccer? Ooh, I don't know. Good question. I was thinking Minnesota soccer. Yeah, I was, I was thinking yeah. that too. Yeah, I don't. I don't okay. differentiate. Okay, yeah. so we'll go Minnesota soccer. Uh, uh, Alex, you want to go first? Well, I. Can we just? I think we should get Christian and Miguel out of the way. Um, yeah. okay. But I think that we also need to talk about Andre Gotsmanov and Jason Mura. <laughs> you hate me <laughs> just because they re-signed for the club more times than most. Yeah, yeah, yes. All right, sorry. Uh, all right, give a give a real uh, give a or, or, or Christian and Miguel, Christian and Miguel. That's my that's my submission. Okay. Uh, 
Dave, um, all right. So I was thinking of how to respond to this, and you know, there's the best players, perhaps. You know, Sana played for the Thunder for a little bit as he was rehabbing before he went to the Galaxy. Um, you have, you know, club legends. It doesn't necessarily have to be a player. I mean, Buzz Lagos would have to be a club legend, right? Manny certainly deserved uh, a legend status from his time and support for the team. You know, Friedman. You know, for all the things that he's done. Um, but Friedland. Uh, yes, Friedland. <laughs> That's a legend. I mean, he's not the best player, but you I called mean, him Friedman. Oh, not Friedman. Uh, whatever. You know what I meant. Sorry, Morgan Kevin. Friedman. I, I might I, be listening to this. Yes. very angry. I, I apologize. Uh, yeah. First round on me. Next time I'm in Jersey. Um, <laughs> so, but you know, to me, the the legends isn't really, you know, perhaps the best player. It's who provides the best stories, you know, for yourself, um, and the best stories, you know, one. Christian Diaz uh, getting a red card in Des Moines and then hanging with us in the stands in the elementary school kids section. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but I, I think I'd have to go with Simone. Um, Simone Broccolello? Simone Broccolello as consistently providing interesting, amazing stories of human behavior uh, in a Minnesota soccer uniform. And, and uh, spawning the, the nuts of a warrior. Exactly, uh, yeah. Uh, which, yeah. Uh, which makes an appearance in The Complete Darkness in uh, in the Brent Coleman uh article that that was in growler magazine i put an epilogue on it with some extra stuff from uh my interviews with him that includes a uh a quite it's not literal because it's not literal nuts of a yeah uh, well anyway it is a story about his nuts so and he has nuts of a warrior as you'll find out when you uh read it and purchase it at bylinepress.com uh i will uh there are a lot of people um that i would that i could throw in um probably um, just of, of players wise, I mean, uh, f- uh, well, United Loons makes a joke about Johnny Steele here, but um, there, there is like Pablo Campos, uh, Kevin Friedland. These kind of there, there are big reasons for that. Um, I think um, one of my favorite players from that period uh, was Connor Tobin. Uh, you know, just just because one of the one of the greatest moments for me watching soccer was uh, him scoring that goal. Uh, did he even score the goal, or was he just part of? Yeah, he scored the goal in that was in against Tampa. No, who was it against in the semifinal? Oh, it was against Tampa in the yeah. first half of, of the final. Sorry, yeah, the first half. Like, yeah. My brain is is not working. Uh, guy, you know, guy like that. Just that that to me is like this legendary moment. It certainly does not have the legendary status of Manny, Amos, Buzz, Christian, uh, Miguel, but. These kind of like my demigods, you know, <laughs> of, of the pantheon uh, that go in there, and and there are there uh, there's a million, you know. I mean, there's just been some pretty uh, fun people to come through the ranks. You know, Jer- Jerry Jerome Tison will, will be in that mm-hmm. that category for years to come because he's just like a he plays with personality. I think more people will mm-hmm. remember him than Kevin Molino because. Kevin, he's one of those players who, you know, and sure, everyone has to do what they want. He's just one of those players who does not seem to engage or think about fans or all at all, or 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 even just the public. You know, mm-hmm. so. I mean, also, I think that guys like Justin Davis and Kevin Venegas, who played well over a hundred games for the team, have to be mentioned as well. Yeah, certainly. I'm not sure, you know, if the Thunder had anyone who went over a hundred games, but. Venegas and, and Davis certainly did the, the, you know, Davis, as far as I know, is the cap, all time caps leader for Minnesota United. Yeah. And, and, and then back to Amos McGee, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I believe he still holds the record for most, uh, goal scored 
uh, for a professional Minnesota team. Hmm. Um, I think uh, Christian, I've, I've got to check it up. I think Christian is basically three goals off of that or something. So uh-huh. I should okay. check it up before the season starts. But, you know, the, yeah, it's a great question. And it's like one that we could have an entire podcast just nominating people for and, and talking about uh, old timey memories. But it's time to go. Um, uh, just uh, thank you, Dave, for coming in. Uh, thanks for working on this article. It's mm-hmm. very fun for me to, to do this stuff uh, and to think about the game in a really different way. I hope people enjoy this article. It's only available in this book. Uh, We don't put it online in purpose because uh, it's really freaking long and and I really really do think that it's great just having something in your hands. Uh, Alex, thank you uh, as always. 